0: Hello and welcome to the Thinking Aloud with Mao podcast. I'm your host, Mahmoud Al-Ansari, and you can call me Mao. Today, our special guest is Dr. Joshua Salem, who is a member of the popular band Native Dean and a chaplain at Duke University. Today, we talk about the relationship and issues between immigrant Muslims and African American Muslims, racism within the Muslim community, and the history of racism. We talk about the history of Native Dean and how they came about as a band, and where they got their name from. And we talk about Joshua's own experiences growing up in the United States. I hope you guys enjoy. Brother Joshua Salem, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. It's, a, it's an you. honor to have you on. Uh, I was very shocked how you answered me, uh, since you're 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 probably a pretty busy guy. So I appreciate it. Alhamdulillah. Well, let's just say uh, there's there's
1: also people out there that are complaining that I never got back to them. So I'll I'll take the credit for this one, but also apologize to all those out there who I didn't get back to.
0: I feel special now. Thank you. I grew up watching you. I grew up listening to you uh, in Native Dean as a group, and I was big on MIST, which is Muslim Interscholastic uh, Tournament. And you guys were always there performing.
1: Right, right.
0: And you guys weren't just a hip-hop band uh, that just made music that people loved, which was the case. You guys, your, your music had, every single song had uh, an inspiration to it, a meaning behind it, a lesson behind it. And uh, revisiting these songs, even when I was older, j- just gave me an appreciation for the kind of work that you guys did. Uh, and you guys, you know, if I had to sum up uh, based off of the songs that I've listened to growing up from you guys, uh, what the, the, the things that you guys tackled uh, were, were things like identity crisis within the Muslim community, being proud of your Muslim identity, uh, knowledge about Islam, the, the lack of knowledge about Islam. So you, your songs would even I learned I learned stories about the prophet through some prophet through some of your songs. Right. Uh, so so it's pride, knowledge. And the third thing, which is very important, which is that you can be Muslim and delve into many arts. You can be Muslim and be American and do things like hip hop in in a halal and in a correct way that that doesn't go against your religion. So these three things are the things that Muslims in America struggle with the most. And it was very impressive to see that you guys early on Post nine eleven, were able to tackle those three main issues, and I wonder what did you go through growing up that allowed you to see that about us, that allowed you to connect with us on that level?
1: Yeah, um, it, it wasn't. It was very organic, you know. Uh, we were three young men being raised by our parents, who who decided to. All of our parents had converted into this way of life. And um, so you're you being brought up and going to the mosque on, on Sundays and during the week and you know going to youth camps uh, with other Muslims and um, you know it, it's just what you know it was all so anytime we were going to make music you know if 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 we were raised in 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 the in the streets of the hood and, and, and you know with violent gangs and you know shootings, then maybe that's what our music would have been about. You know, but um, being raised in 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 these communities, it was just what was in us and what was coming out of us. And our of course our mothers and our fathers had you know a lot to do with that to make sure you know they wouldn't allow uh, certain uh, activities and things like that. So we 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 also had some strict parents that kept us straight. So got to give credit where credits due.
0: Did you struggle at all with your identity crisis? Oh, did you struggle with an identity crisis growing up? Like you're, you're being Muslim and at the same time uh, being American or at the same time being African-American? Um,
1: I, I don't know. I don't, I never really considered it. I mean, maybe hindsight, I could look at it and say, yeah, there were some challenging things. But, you know, when I was coming up, everybody was dealing with something, you know, so maybe some people were getting made fun of because, uh, you know, they didn't shop at the right store. You know, so everybody wants to make fun of that person. And somebody else is getting made fun of because they're too smart. Somebody else is getting made fun of because they, they're, not, they're not smart enough. Somebody else is getting made fun of because of their hair, you know, because of their parents, the way their mother looks, their father looks. There was, you know, I come from a community where school, public school was rough. You know, people always find a reason to make fun of you for something. So my Islamic identity, uh, at least in the in the um, uh, you know, I was born in 1973. You know, so in the in the in the 80s, you know, we were like that was a good time. You know, you had the 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 a lot of the famous rappers and and people in the hip hop community were Muslim, and um, you know, so there was there was. In, at least in the urban communities, there was a lot of respect that one could get for identifying as a Muslim or for uh, identifying that you were on that path, um, kind of anti, it also had this like climate of being anti the man, anti the system, anti government, you know, and strong wheeled. Um, and even when I got into college, you know, I had, of course there was jokes. There was jokes about me being, being a virgin or not not being married. There was jokes about me fasting. There was jokes about me, you know, little things about your faith, but um, it, it didn't really prevent me from, you know, being in, involved in, in the, uh, with my friends who, who were not Muslim uh, and things like that. But like I said, it, being raised in public school, you just had to learn how to come up with quick responses, quick wit, you know, and it was all about who your friends were. So if you had a couple of cool friends in, in crowd, you were kind of protected anyway, right, so. Um, no, I, I um, and 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 I only speak for myself, you know. So this is my story, and I'm sure there's others who maybe are the same age as me that had more of an identity crisis. But I was always very comfortable in my black skin, and my um, in my Muslim skin, being in the uh, in my growing up in
0: America. So if that's the case for you, because sometimes since I I'm someone who struggled deeply with my identity growing up. Um, And someone who was embarrassed of my culture, embarrassed of my upbringing, and maybe that had to do with that I was post 9-11, especially the spotlight was on Muslims, more than ever before. Uh, And so I myself went to the extreme, I would say that I was on the extremes of an identity crisis, I did everything in my power to stay away from Islam to try to not be Muslim to hate mist. The, the, the tournament that I now look back and, and regret and say I should have taken more seriously uh, how many skills and, and lessons I have learned from it. So, but at the same time, someone like you who may have not suffered from an identity crisis uh, was able to speak to me w- through your songs. And I wonder how that is. How, how were you able to still find a way to speak to people like me through your songs if you, if you weren't going through the same troubles?
1: Uh, America is a is a hodgepodge of bubbles you know uh, there's people in America who have been here for over four generations that don't speak any English some somebody might wonder like how is that possible that their their parents their grandparents and their great grandparents all lived were, were born here in America but they don't speak any English because there's that's that's possible in America. Uh, you you have places in America that are still the the seats of white supremacy, white supremacy with with the KKK strong. Elected officials, right? And then you have places where there's so much diversity that people would think that uh, segregation ever existed in America. You know, it, it's it's just there's a lot of bubbles in America, right? And so, at a young age. At the age of 12, that was 1985 for me. I was, um, and even before that, I was raised in a diverse community, right? So my community wasn't all African-American. Uh, within my community in Kansas City, Kansas City Missouri, we had a, a message that was majority uh, people who had immigrated here to America, uh, majority Arab at, at that time. Um, when I moved from Kansas City to the suburbs of uh, uh, Chicago, a place called Lombard in Villa Park, Illinois. Uh, the message that we went to was primarily Pakistani, right? And then, uh, but in, within 20, 30 minutes, there were other messages that were majority Arab. Uh, and when I was 12 years old, I started going to MENA, Muslim Youth of North America. So all of my friends, All of my friends now this is not public school this is just all of my friends from from the from this organization are from all over the world they're from Somalia they're from Azerbaijan they're from Pakistan they're from Bangladesh they're from India they're from you know uh Iraq they're from Tunisia everywhere right and so you're being raised with this diverse group from the age of you know even though I started that at 12 I was in a diverse community before 12. And so all of those stories, all of those experiences, all of those, um, uh, you know, the traumatic things, the fun things, the little, the little quirks that they, the jokes they have about their family and, you know, the, the cultural clashes and all of that, you become intimately familiar with all of that, you know? And it, and it just becomes, and again, that wasn't, I never thought of it as like, oh, I'm being uh, acclimated to different cultures. It becomes who I am. Right? Just like I told you I was raised in, 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 in this community so the music was coming out of me. I didn't think about that at the age of 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 when I'm, when, you know, part of this thing I'm going to ISNA, ICNA, Mass, you know, all these conventions. You're not thinking about, uh, oh yes, let me, let me speak about, let me write a song about the diversity. No, it's just, it's just who you are. So uh, I am, as many people, I'm not one thing. You know, I'm I'm Muslim American. I'm uh, black. I'm I'm, I'm uh, raised by a single mom. i you know I have a diverse. You know, I'm I'm just so many things, and so are you. You know, you're not one thing. You're not you're not just you know that one identity. You are several identities balled into one, and and you know you have the ability to negotiate those as you as you. Walk through life, you know.
0: And so, if you so so, did that help you when you were called with a with a wide range of cultures? Did that allow you to see kind of the struggles that different cultures, when they come to America, deal with as Muslims? I mean, it, and did you find by any chance that uh, cultures coming in, or Arabs coming in, Pakistanis coming in, Azerbaijan people from Azerbaijan coming in? Were struggling with their identity more than you were?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't know that uh, they were struggling with their identity more than I was. In fact, uh, back then, and, and sometimes even today, I was more frustrated that they couldn't that they couldn't understand the the African American struggle, especially within within Islam. Right? The the um, uh, you know I'm, I'm 47 years old i was born and raised muslim but i still get asked the question and I'm, I'm no longer offended by it i used to be offended by it like oh alhamdulillah so when did you become muslim i mean i'm like what do you mean when did i become muslim and, you know just the assumption that you know you were you converted or the assumption that you don't know surah al-fatiha the 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 first chapter in the quran the, the 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 assumption that you you know you don't know certain things about the faith used to be offensive you know it used to be really offensive and sometimes people people wouldn't get that, but I, and, and also like the history. Myself, I didn't know, learn these things until uh, post-college about the history of, of why our communities were so separate and why the, uh, when, when a lot of, uh, in, in the late 60s, when a lot of Muslims uh, from different countries were coming to America, that they landed in the suburbs as opposed to the inner cities that you know uh, Dr. Jamila Karim amongst others is one who writes about that was a conscious decision that people knew that it wasn't that cool to be associated with black folk you know if you're coming to the United States of America you know it's best to uh, you know stay stay in a suburb so i used to be more frustrated with things like that you know and and um, and so I, w- I really wasn't when when we came together in these youth camps we weren't really trying to compare struggles you know we just all knew that uh, it was cool to be around a big group of other Muslims who you know were kind of like you and sometimes we weren't sometimes we had arguments sometimes we fought you know disagree whatever but for the most part we we played football together we listened to lectures together and those friendships from the age of twelve, those are some of my closest friends today like Half of my network are people that I grew up with in these Muslim youth camps, you know? Uh, and, and again, they are still extremely diverse people. So I, I don't know, maybe it was just the time. And, and you, you mentioned like a post-9-11 world. Yes, there is a post-9-11 world, but for people who study it, uh, the, same, the same stereotypes existed pre-9-11, right? Um, they, they, they had movies out about rounding up Muslims in, into detention camps. Before 9/11, right? Um, the 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 um, the w- when the Oklahoma City bombing happened in 1995, who did they f- who did they first blame? They were going after Muslims first. That's 1995, way before 9/11, right? So the, who ended this, up being
0: the one to do it? It was. I, t- t- I don't even I don't even know anything about the Oklahoma City bombing. Okay.
1: Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And I'm 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 not surprised because uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said that uh, America has about a two week history. You know, we uh, we like right now we might complain about you know something that's going on and forget that we did the same thing uh, a year ago or five years ago or whatever. But yeah, 1995 there was a, a big blast in Oklahoma City. A, a government building was was blown up, and the the person who ended up uh, doing it was um, a white man named Timothy McVeigh, and he had at least one accomplice uh, named uh, Tim, uh, Terry Nichols. and um, at that time it was the worst terrorist attack on American soil. Uh, but his whiteness and his Christianness uh, never became an issue. Uh, and and if you want to study it even further, he did that in in uh, retaliation for what the government did in Waco, Texas this is another incident that happened before that where, a Christian man, um, I forget his name, but he had a, like a cult of people in this uh, place in Waco, Texas, and then a the government stormed in because they said he was doing inappropriate things with with uh, the community and the children and the girls, And but they they were armed. And so they ended up shooting out with the FBI and the FBI stormed a building and tore down a building and boom, you know, fire, it was it was horrible. It was all over television. And so some other white people said, the government has gone too far, and so that was their way of fighting back, and they blew up this government building, you know. And uh, but the the first people that America was blaming was Muslims, you know, because of, the, of these stereotypes that that are out there, and ain't nothing changed today. If if something happened, uh, if there was some plot, and and nobody knew who it was, or something blew up, let's say that if something blew up, that 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 guy that just blew up something in Nashville, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if if there was no Uh, evidence, if there there was no report, people would think that it was a a Muslim attack, you know, just because of an explosion. America still has not come to terms, even after this insurrection, even after white supremacists threatened to, um, they had plotted to take uh, the governor of Michigan. I don't know. Did you hear about that one?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, they still
0: haven't come to terms with, you know, this
1: is a real issue
0: that's the thing like even after the bombing of nashville that barely got any new media attention and they would call it like oh just just a bombing okay why didn't you call him a terrorist too that doesn't make any sense and i kind of want i'm interested in hearing what you have to say about uh how about today the the uh relationship between african-american muslims and immigrant muslims has it improved since you were young or do you think it's it's still the same
1: or worse, even. Wow, three options: same, better, worse. I feel like I'm at the doctor's office. there. Are you feeling the same, or better, or worse? <laughs> um, man, I'm, I'm 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 embarrassed to say my true my true feelings. Let's just put it that way. I don't think if it has gotten better, I don't, I don't think it's gotten much better. You know, um, I don't think it's gotten much better. There's still a lot of there's still a lot of tension, um, and and I so instead of harping on that because I don't think it's gotten much
0: better, I do pray that um, there's a there's a path forward. Um, how do you think it can improve? Like, how do you think it can be better? I think um,
1: so. If you want if you want to get deep this this blackness is not just an American thing, right? Like um, almost every culture in the world has an issue with blackness, right? Uh, if you speak to people in Pakistan, some of them have stories, I've heard these stories of their like grandparents trying to scrub them so hard because they were so dark, trying to get the, trying to make them lighter. And speaking of lighters, there's a lot of cultures, whether you're in Japan, Korea or Pakistan or uh, some places in Africa, I've spoken to some communities in Africa, they have, uh, skin whitening soap, right of these products to bleach your skin, to to whiten your skin. And um, recently, recently, when I say recently, I'm talking within the past two years, uh, you know I've been exposed to this uh, concept in the Quran that Adam was made from very dark mud, black mud right and so his his image if anything was a very dark dark man right but after all these years of being Muslim I've never seen a children's a Muslim children's book with a very very dark man as Adam right but when you think about shaitan the devil who was despised hated this very dark man I think it makes a lot of sense why blackness is such an issue around the world and so many cultures. I think it has a lot to do with this is that image that shape that Satan, the devil, saw when he was kicked out of the, the, the mercy and the in the paradise of God. Right. And so there's there's it's so deep ingrained in humanity by the whispers of Shaitan, I believe. And and I've heard this from others like Dr. Bilal Ware, who's a speaker and, and things like that, that that it's a policy or a kumbaya moment or a lecture is not really gonna address it. It's gonna take some more drastic things to address the the blackness that we have uh, between so many cultures. But one of the things that I like that was done at the Prophet's time, Prophet Muhammad, was he, when, when, when they immigrated to Medina, the city of Medina coming from Mecca, uh, and one group coming from Mecca was called the, the, the immigrants uh, and the other group who was in Medina, they were called the helpers or the supporters and he paired them up and made them family members like it wasn't just like hey I want y'all to be boys, I want y'all to hang out like he gave them rights and privileges of family members, and so he's taking people from this group and from this group and saying, okay, now you guys are brothers and now you guys are sisters and act like it and sharing your resources and things like that. And I've often thought like, what would have happened if somebody in the leadership position had done that when all of the immigrants came to America and 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 were amongst the African-American community. If somebody with leadership and say, okay, you brother, you from Iraq, hey sister, you from Pakistan. This is now your brother. This is now now you're your sister and you act like it and you and you um, and you share your resources and you you benefit from one another. I think that would have I think that would have really helped us. Instead, we separated from the beginning and and have yet to truly integrate, uh, you know, 35 years later, 40 years later.
0: So, do you think there's a way to integrate now between, you know, African American Muslims and immigrant Muslims? Or do you think it's kind of just I think, by the way, before, before you address that, that is the coolest concept that I've heard in a, in a, in a while, the, the concept that because the, the initial human being that the devil saw was a black man, then from the beginning, he has this bias towards, he may have this bias towards he may, it's he a, may. a theory, it's, it's a, a theory, theory. It's, definitely, yeah. it's a theory, but it's a good theory, uh, and it's logical. Uh, that he just may have, because I have never understood it. I like some nights I just sit there when I'm contemplating, I'm like, why black? Well, I mean, cause we can switch it and it could be where the reality can be where black people are the ones uh, on top uh, socially and white people are the ones that are not and black is seen as beautiful and white is seen as ugly. Like, why was it, the, why is it the other way around? What makes mm-hmm. it so? And especially that it's, as you're saying, it's universal. It's not something just in America or in Europe. It is everywhere, even within Africa, even this I- internal racism, internal hatred towards oneself within even the African community uh, or, or the black community as a whole. It, it just blows my mind that that's the case, that, that black people have to consciously learn to love themselves while mm-hmm. white people are, are just Born into loving themselves, since they are, you, you know, assumed even through a, a micro, micro uh, lessons mm-hmm. that they are what is beautiful—blonde and blue eyes—is is the epitome of beauty. Mm-hmm. So that is that is a very cool thought. That maybe, just maybe, that the, the devil has something to do. And I do think, actually, the devil has everything to do with racism, mm-hmm. uh, because he is the inventor of racism and arrogance. Mm-hmm. What just happened is uh
1: like i I always say i'm not a conspiracy theorist i just go off the facts my brother i'm just all about facts and what just happened is one one of the reasons i don't think we made it to the moon because because it's it's 2020 and i have problems getting good internet and I'm sitting right next to my modem in my house. And, and in 1967, I guess, they live streamed from the moon without any lagging. So, you know, I, I it, it would be different if they were like, you know, Mr. President, this is one great step. And he's like, uh, John, <laughs> John, are you there? Mr. President, can you hear me? You know, it wasn't none of that. It was just, Straight conversations from the moon to the president's office on a rotary phone, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think
0: conspiracy theorists will appreciate you for that one. That's a different take. That's a different perspective on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everybody else is about the the, the flag floating and the lights. I'm like, no, no, no. The they, li- li- <laughs> they live streamed from the from the moon in in 1969, and we we can't even call each other in in a storm, a rainstorm now. So maybe, maybe not.
0: I'm glad I'm I'm glad you, you you made a lot of conspiracy theorists about the moon happy today, man. I tell you that. <laughs> oh, by the way, if I'm looking up, just know that I I have you on the TV screen over here, so I'm like t- I'm looking over there also. Okay, just, no. just so you're not weirded out that I'm like.
1: I can tell if you're not paying attention to me. <laughs>
0: no, I'll, I'll be paying attention. Don't worry. Um, so we were we I was I was talking about what well, we were talking about. Is how um, Pew Research came out with this with these statistics that said that Muslim African Americans are fifty percent of native Muslims in this country. And when,
1: when did this come
0: out? I think like I, they do it every five years, so I'm, I'm guessing 2015. Uh, so, and, and I think it was historically too. So. But native, native meaning that two, two generations or more in this country. So you guys, African-American Muslims really have a great perspective on what it means to be and how difficult it is to be Muslim and in minority in general in this country, while immigrant Muslims are kind of still trying to figure out what it is and, and how to deal and what's our culture, what, what is our overall Muslim culture as a whole Um, And I feel like if we would have, if we would have relied on our uh, Muslim brothers that that are African American that have been here for centuries more, um, Muslim immigrants would have had a better understanding as to how to how to succeed in this country. So how do we how do again, how do we come together as one or what, what steps do you think uh, we should take, especially as the new generation, because your generation—you're not old or anything—but uh, <laughs> at my it's, generation,
1: go ahead, go ahead, I'm alright, go
0: ahead. My generation, the generation below me, needs to fi- definitely needs to work on this because that is the future of Muslims in this country—is uniting together with all races and all classes. It's it's
1: it's different experiences, man. It's different experiences, and and. For, for instance, the, the, the Black experience in America, at least those Blacks who come from, uh, you know, whose roots are here that go back to the time when beautiful African people were brought here and forced into slavery. If your roots go back that far, you, you have trauma in your DNA, right? It's, it's in your DNA. Uh, America ha- has tortured the Black people for so long and in, and, and in many ways is still doing it through, through laws that have been written in, in plain sight. Uh, one of the authors, I forget her name, she writes a book called The, the New Jim Crow, you know, that talks about the laws that are still going on here in, in America that, that mimic uh, all the, the racism that was not too, too long ago, it's still here. America is still one of the most segregated uh, countries, right? So even though segregation is legally over, you still find that if too many black people or too many of any kind of people move into, a, but especially black people, move into a, a neighborhood that's majority white, they will slowly migrate and they will shift and, and they will go to another place. And so in 2020, so much of America is still very segregated. Um, and so there's, there's different experiences. So, so a, a person coming here from Turkey, is, is really not going to understand the Black Muslim experience, right? And, and a lot of African American Muslims may not understand what it's like to be an, an, an immigrant where no matter how many uh, 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 generations you've been here, if you still look non-white and non-black, people might ask you, where are you from, right? So where I get asked the question of uh, uh, when did you convert? you know, uh, an, another person that's been here for, for generations is gonna be asked, well, where, where are you from? And then, so you hear this, these jokes in the immigrant community about like, oh, you mean where are my pa- parents from or where are my grandparents from? Because I was born in Cincinnati you know, or something like that. And they're kind of pushing back on that, on that narrative. And so we have different experiences. Uh, but yes, I do think there was a missed opportunity to learn from one another, to, to see each other as uh, resources and allies. And now even today it's, it, it only comes up when we're, when we're both under extreme stress and extreme strain when there's another ban, the Muslim ban is out or some other you know horrible thing uh, as people getting put on a no fly list and this and that. Okay, oh yeah, now we gotta work together. And I don't fault people for it because that's, that's human nature. We're not gonna work together until we have a common enemy that's so overwhelming that there's no choice but to work together, right? But in time, when times are good, People start to separate and go into their own little circles, and then you go the Somali communities here, and then the the Bosnian communities here, and the Black communities here, and the you know whatever. But when we're when we're threatened, then people say, "Oh man, we got to work together, man. We can't you know we can't just be in our own little communities." So that's human nature, and um, we have to fight it uh, and and try to be more. Uh, a community like in the
0: good times and not just the bad times. I was, as I was running yesterday, and this is a weird thought to have while running, but I was thinking if anyone made a movie about the prophets, peace be upon him's life, and they put all his friends around him, it would be one of the most diverse human beings you've ever seen. I mean, I haven't learned about this till I got older because Mm. you've meant, you've touched upon this earlier in the podcast where uh, us as Muslims do a very bad job of speaking of the race and even of, of, of the things that now are considered a minority group uh, that were within prophethood, that were within prophet circles, such as I was just, re- I was just listening to Omar Suleiman talk about uh, one of the prophet, peace be upon him's close friends was a black man who was a little person who mm-hmm. was you know who in in long term before before it became uh, offensive and understandably so a, a midget, mm-hmm. and, and this was one of the prophet's closest friends and you have, pro, the prop some of the prophet's closest friends were all shapes and sizes different mm-hmm. di- different a blind man a deaf man a short man a black man a white man a slave a a, a billionaire a millionaire. All mm-hmm. these diverse people coming together and, and mm-hmm. we do a very bad job and, and we neglect that within the Muslim community that when we tell these stories, when you tell the story of the man who has been spoken of more than any other person in the Quran, Moses peace be upon him, we forget to mention that he was a black man. So mm-hmm. I think some of that stuff, if, if the little things, the minute things, the representation of, of minority uh, within Islam would, would make a big difference in how we view others, I mm-hmm. personally think. Mm-hmm. And jumping off of that, I would love to ask you, like, how did Native Dean come about? When did it come about?
1: So the origins of Native Dean, I, l- I like the way you just breeze over all that wisdom and knowledge and be like, all right, so we, yeah, but forget that, so tell me about Native <laughs> do Dean. you wanna
0: address do you No, wanna no, address no,
1: that? We'll, <laughs> come, we'll come back to it. I'm gonna I'm a flow with you, man. You're a good interviewer, so we're gonna keep going. Um, I was, uh, so I told you about those youth camps, right? Uh, You know, I was 12 years old and I'm going to these MENA camps. But those MENA camps, and by the way, MENA is an acronym, M-Y-N-A, stands for Muslim Youth of North America. Does it still
0: exist? It
1: still exists. It still exists. Okay. It's it's still very popular in many parts of America. And if we have time in this podcast, I'll tell you why I'm, um, I'm kind of, it may sound controversial, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm negotiating with the term Muslim uh, as we use it today. Uh, I think it, it's hurting us more than helping us from the Quranic perspective. But anyway, so in those, in those camps, it was mostly lectures. right? And then uh, at the end of the week, well, every day we would have like an hour of recreation. But at the end of the week, on the last night, it was entertainment night. And so all of the entertainers would come out, you know, all of the, the the people who did poetry, the people that did rap, the people that did songs, the people that tap danced, the people that acted, people that did jokes. They would all come out and just entertain the youth uh, and have a great time before everybody went back home to Canada, California, New York, you know, Texas. And so I was I was one of those natural entertainers. And uh, and after a few years, one of the sisters, her name was Nancy, she said, "Why do we have to wait, you know?" once a year to come to this camp to hear these songs. Can we put it on a tape? Now this was before your time, but you know, there was tapes, you know, before the CDs. And uh, so they said, yeah, so they called it Minna Raps, right? And I was, me and a couple other people and, and uh, uh, female poets and guys who were singing songs and everybody came on this Mena Raps tape in 1992, right? That was the first one. And then I went into the military uh, a few years after that, and and then when I came out of the military, I had discovered that two other guys took the lead in MinaRaps two, MinaRaps three, MinaRaps four, and that was Abdul Malik and Naim, my partners now, and I was like, man, they kept us going, and so the only people that submitted work for MinaRaps five was the three of us. We weren't a group, but we all submitted, you know, because anybody could put. Their work onto that thing. It was just any youth that wanted to put something on there. So I put some. How old
0: were you guys at that time?
1: At that time, it was like 1999. So uh, you know, it was that late, early 20s? You know, uh, 83, 93. Yeah, mid, mid, late 20s when we, when we did meta Raps Five, and um, nobody else put any work in. So. We were all living in the same area at that time in in, uh, the DC metro area. So people started thinking that we were a group because there's this tape that says Raps 5 it had you three on it. Uh, Can you guys come and sing at this wedding? Can you guys come and sing, do that rap at this uh, convention? And we were like, "Uh, okay. And then it just kind of grew from there. And the next thing you know, we're in California. And then next thing you know, we're in uh, England. And the next thing you know we're in Africa and the next, it was just like what is going on and so uh, early on we we figured out that we needed a name because we, were, we went all the way to England and they they said ladies and gentlemen I can't do an English accent but they were like ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the stage Naeem Abdul-Malik and Joshua and we were like uh, okay and then sometimes they would say please welcome to the stage men of raps and we were like we're, we're not men of raps but okay and so after a few times we said we need to come up with our own name. And uh, we came up with native dean. It was a mixture of English and the an English word and the an Arabic word. It wasn't too hard to pronounce. So it wasn't like, you know, Akhlaq al Muslim or something, you know, it's just like native Dean, easy. And and the rest
0: is history. So so what inspired the name native Dean? Because what that really means is native religion? Yeah. So I I um
1: religion is a is a translation of deen that is often used in the Quran i, I kind of negotiate away from that as well i like uh, the understanding that deen is a path that deen is a, is a way of life and especially because in the in the verse in the Quran in arabic it says lakum uh, dinukum which translates as you know to you be your something and to me be my something right it's often translated as religion. To you be your religion and to me be mine. But if somebody doesn't follow a religion, they'd be like, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. But everybody on earth has a dean. Everybody has a path, a way that you're walking, a way that you've chosen to live your life. And however you live in your life, that in Arabic, that would be your dean, right? And, and, and the, the, the way of life that we're trying to live is the, the path of peace the path of uh, uh, this peaceful submission to the God who created everything. So it's called Deen al-Islam. But, and, and I guess now you've led me into the reason why I'm negotiating away from Muslim is because um, I think that's a broader term than we, you know, if I say, oh, he's Christian, he's Jewish, he's Muslim. Like it, it's, it makes it sound like Muslim is some like different religion, right? But in Arabic, if you you know you see that the, the people who followed Jesus were called Muslim in Arabic. The people who followed Moses were called Muslim in Arabic. The uh, uh, Abraham's the one that made that prayer. You know, make my followers Muslim, and that, you know that's Abraham. So it's not just from a Quranic perspective. It's not just people who believe in Prophet Muhammad. From my understanding, to me from the Quran, it is all the people. Uh, who have been living on this earth, who have decided to follow a path that is submitting to the, to the, the will of God. And they, they fall under that term. And so um, so yeah, Dean, that was my long answer to Dean. So Dean is a path, Dean is a way that you've decided to live. And Native was, we felt like this, this path of submission is a natural way, it's, it's native to us as, uh, in, as human beings. And as African-Americans, we felt like we were native You know, even though like we're not Native, I do have Native American blood a little bit, but that's not what we meant. It's like, okay, well, we were Native to this land, you know, indigenous. And so we just said, okay, Native Dean. And and, yeah, that's how we got it.
0: What inspired kind of the songs behind what you guys sang about? Cause you, you guys had some, I was even showing it to my non-Muslim friends the other day and they were like, this is a banger, man. This is super catchy, like M-U-S-L-I-M. I'm so oh, blessed to be with you. Oh man, man, we got, we got more stuff, man. You gotta,
1: see, I don't I, know how, how many times we've been traveling and somebody, we'll, we'll meet somebody. How old are you, by the way? I'm 21. Okay, so somebody 25, 26. The first thing is see oh are you native Dean? oh man, I used to listen to native Dean all the time when I was little, i would be like used to, so we gotta let people know we got we got new music out there man we all we did solo albums we got we got about four or five albums out there so m u s l i m that's one of the old songs but uh'm well, glad, is, is that I'm glad
0: apple, liked it. yeah it Yeah, on, on apple music it's one of the top songs so it's it's the most streamed one I'm guessing oh yeah. You guys have a new release. It's called Lost and Striving, right? That's that's a, a, a like a short movie. Yeah. Okay, so it's not it's not an app al- because I was looking for it and I couldn't find it on Apple, and I was like, what's going on here? So it's not an album.
1: No, it's not an album. It's not. It's it's a short movie that Malik directed. Uh, uh, Dean TV is a project that he he took off as a uh, took over as a branch of Native Dean and started this kind of like a nonprofit to do videography and, and things like that and so that's the second movie that they've made well the first one was more like a like a Netflix series it, it wasn't Netflix but they it was like broken up into segments but this one was like a one hour film
0: okay before we go into that because that's I want to talk to you about that uh but let's first talk about what message you guys were trying to send through your your songs like well what kind of what was what was it behind? What was behind, and what was the motivation? And there, it was clearly coming from a place from the heart. Uh, so, how how did these lyrics come about that really told a story, but at the same time were rhythmic and catchy? Mm. So, all of us came from
1: different places, right? So, Abdel Malik, who is the one who has written the most songs uh, for the group Native Dean. Right. He he writes and he writes a lot and he writes, it comes easy to him. He's been blessed with it. Uh, he, he'll like see something and decide that's a problem and I need to write a song about it. Right. So, so, uh, so he might see, uh, uh, you know, youth disrespecting their parents or something like that. Right. And he'll say, that's a problem i've heard a lot about it in the community i'm going to write a song about it uh naeem uh, and i might be a little bit different so so me like all of my songs would start from the music i didn't really have anything to say but i i i would like a beat would come into my head you know and and i dun 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 mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. Mm-hmm. So I'm humming at, I'm humming at, and then I start putting stuff to it like La ilaha illallah Now, why did I put those Arabic words to it? That mean there's no god but the one true God. It's just because I'm I'm raised Muslim, right? But it was first for me. It was the beat. I had the beat, and then I would go to my friends and say, "Okay, what should I say to this beat? Right? Like what what." what song should i write about like, oh man you should write something about this or something about that and be like okay yeah yeah and then i start putting words to it so me it was more like a just a you know i didn't really have like a message that i wanted to promote to the community but what came from in within me was a message it was always something that was beneficial and and and
0: things like that but so sometimes we came at music from different angles you know wow that's and i'm glad that's the case cuz that's what allowed you guys to make such great music that got millions of views on YouTube at the end of the day and and probably got hundreds of thousands of streams, if not millions. I'm not really sure about you guys streaming data, but neither am I. It's okay. (laughs) But you guys, I mean, you guys did a great job. And and I think fun fact about Abdul Manik is that his mother used to teach me for at least three years in elementary school. Really? Yeah. And she didn't, she didn't decide to mention to us. She always taught, told us about her ballerina stories, but she never mentioned to us that she was the first ever black ballerina in America to break the color barrier. Like right. she, someone had to tell me that. I was like, yo, I, I had this lady for like three years of my life. Why did she never mention that?
1: No, Nobody mentioned it until I think Abdul Malik did a, he did a special on her on Dean TV. So he, you know he st- started this thing called dean tv always looking for content and so we said that would be really cool yeah we we found out about his mother said you should just do something know your mother and he was like okay and so he he interviewed her and he got pictures and everything and uh so yeah i think a lot of people found out about it late in her life late in his life that she has she's like a uh, is part of the american history you know
0: the only way, the only thing she would mention about it was like if if I fell asleep or someone fell asleep or something, she'd be like, "Wake up!" We used to we used to clean the ballerina floors with Coca Cola or something, <laughs> something random like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> it was an it was an uh, interesting way. She would just she she was just compartmentalize. She would just carpet her stories through throughout our experience with her in the classroom, which is interesting.
1: That is funny.
0: That is funny. And I <laughs> want to go back to what you mentioned about, you know, people mentioning the songs that you guys had uh, around, like the song that I just mentioned, M-U-S-L-I-M is like a 2006-2007 song, but how, how recent was the most recent album you guys dropped? Actually, it's a
1: 1999 song and then we remixed it in, in the 2000 and uh, we remixed it in 2000 and Somewhere in there that you mentioned. Yeah. Um so after uh the last album that we did was called um what was it called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't you know, not afraid to stand alone. And what's the last, the third album? Ooh, that, that lets you know how long I've been away from the band, man. See? Uh, oh man. Something about uh I'm about to yell at my wife and be like, what was the name of my last album? <laughs> Anyway, um, it was with, the cover was with us like in a in a, in a scientific lab doing something. Uh, so that was the last album. I think that came out in 2014, 2000, somewhere in there. But then we we decided to do solo albums because there was there was there was tension in the group. You know, like uh, all of the songs had to be. It, it, sometimes it's hard. First of all, I want everybody to know we're still a band. We've been together twenty years. And it's very hard to keep a band together for 20 years, right? If you look out in the industry, it's very few bands, especially Muslim bands, but even outside of the Muslim community in mainstream America, it's very hard to keep a band together for 20 years. Cause I might be excited about a song that I came up with in the shower. And I think it's a hit. I know it's a hit and I bring it to the group and I'm like, oh man, I got this hit, listen to this. And then, uh, Josh, now I'm not feeling that. But what you mean you're not feeling, it, man? Because I know no, you need to do this to it. You need to do this to. It. I'm like, no, I don't want to do nothing to it. And then so you get, you gotta force your song forward onto the album, and then the more you force it, maybe the more upset somebody else gets because they don't think it's that good. And it, so that was always happening with our music, right? We're, it was very difficult as an artist. So we said we need we need to do our own project, right? Everybody, let's do your own album and just. Flex your wings a little bit. So Naeem went first. He did a beautiful album called I Love When You Use Your Words. And then um, uh, uh, Abdumali did his album and it was called uh, uh, Conscious Reboot, right? And then I just released the album last year called um, One True, right? And so uh, that was like, that took like five years for us to do that. And uh, and now we're about to we're, we're going to work on our last Native Dean album. We're going to come back together and push those songs. Uh, and I think some of that tension that we have as a group is what what makes some of the good music come out.
0: What What do you mean by last album? Is it going to be literally your last album?
1: Yeah, man. It's time to it's time to hang it up. You know, look, I'm I'm 47. My my chi- my son is 20, almost 21 years old. He'll be 21 in uh in in May. You know, so. Uh, it's time for us to pass it on, and, and well, we don't even have to pass it on. Look, the next generation was take taking it. Like, uh, I remember people started asking us, oh, oh yeah, we've heard all about you. You guys are called Dean Squad, right? It's like, no, no, that's that's that new hotness. We're not Dean Squad. We're called Native Dean. Oh, oh I never heard of you guys. So, alhamdulillah, uh, thank God that so many uh, young people are, like, doing it now, so I think we'll just... We, did, we didn't wanna fade out into the background. We wanted to go out with a bang. So we're gonna to try to do one last album, make it as nice as we can and do one last tour around the world after COVID is over. And then, you know, just perform at your, your, your grandson's, you know, birthday party or something.
0: I'm glad you addressed that because I was confused myself when I saw that you released your own album. I was like, did they split up? Did the band split up? Oh, my God. And, and even you guys just did a recent interview. Uh, I think it was on New Year's. And it seemed like you guys were still uh, it, it seemed like you guys even had some catching up to do even through that interview. And I was like, I hope they're OK. I hope they're still together. And I, I hope uh, the relationship is still good.
1: That's funny, yeah, we're, we're always catching up, you know. Look, sometimes the real story is, and I, I don't know if they'll ever make like a little movie about Native Dean and history of the band, but a lot of times we were so busy. Look, Abdamalik is a web developer. Abdamalik is a martial arts instructor. Abdamalik is is, uh, you know, doing Dean TV. He, he's, he's involved with a whole bunch of stuff. Naeem ha- has been working for Muslim charities for I don't know how many years, maybe 15 years. And so he was always flying around the world, always flying around the world somewhere, right? So, and and I was busy in my own right too, right? And so sometimes we would come to the airport for a gig. Like I was the, normally the one coordinating things. I'd tell him what, you know, what flight we were on, what time to be at the airport and all that. And we would meet at the airport, and that would be the first time we had met in a while, and so we catch up in the airport, hey, how things going? And then when we get to where we're going, as soon as we land and we get in the hotel, we put all the clothes, you know, put everything away and be like, all right, what songs we doing tonight, you know? (laughs) Really? Yeah, and then we start practicing uh, in the hotel room. uh, And, and, uh, you know, so that that was, uh, we had done it for so long that we could, you know, we could just kind of pick it up and do it. And then the crowd would get an amazing show I I would say there's a lot of artists out there with much better voices than we have. Uh, Zane Beaker has a more beautiful voice. Uh, 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 Dow Warnsby has a more beautiful voice. Maher Zane has a beautiful voice. Sammy Yusuf has a beautiful voice. All these people have better voices than us. But with the live show, like when you come to the show, when you come to the concert, I don't know if there's anybody who was touching us with the Native Dean live show. And so we we tried to really just give the crowd a, a, a nice live performance, something that they couldn't couldn't hear on the album uh, but yeah we got a lot of funny stories man
0: yeah you guys had an amazing drummer so some of the drummers you guys had were wow it was out of this world your live performances were great that's not a lie at all it
1: it, it stepped up when we got that drummer so we got him back in like 2003 2002 early on and he's been performing with us since sometimes we would get a replacement drummer if he couldn't make it but the main drummer was uh, a guy named Todd Snare Lothar, also known as Totic Snare Lothar. Uh, look, he was so much into drumming, he changed his middle name to Snare for the snare drum. And that's a true story. And uh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's still drumming. And, uh, and if we ever perform, that's the one we call from Brooklyn, New York.
0: So were, was, was you guys' relationship and friendship based off of solely the band, solely the music? Or, or did you guys uh, have a relationship off or outside of the band? Well, like I said, our, we, we knew each other from those youth groups. Right, were you guys like friends then or, or did yeah. kind of music band you together? Both, we, we were friends
1: uh, uh, before the music but the music definitely brought us closer together. That was, that was the jail that happened in, um, in uh, 1999. Well, well, for Naeem and Malik, it happened for them before me because remember I helped with the first album first uh, uh, Men of Raps tape. And then I went into the military. And then when I came out, those two had already been working together for years. And so I kind of joined on and we, we, we made this group. Um, but, but yeah, so it was the music, because like I said, in that Muslim youth of North America, there's a lot of other people that we're friends with, but Native Dean is kind of like a, a bond on its own.
0: So now now that you're gonna probably really you are gonna release one more album, uh, but you you're a chaplain at Duke University, inshallah, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. release one more album. Uh, but now you're a chaplain at Duke University who works with the youth uh, and really really uh works with most Muslim youth in particular. So it, that's that's what really amazed me by you guys, is like you said, Naeem does charity and Abdul Malik probably does his own. Uh, work when it comes to Muslim work is that you guys weren't just talk, weren't just music, but you were genuinely not only making music that would relate to the youth, but now you're even uh, a chaplain at Duke University. So, so tell me a little bit about that. How's that been?
1: It's been great, you know. And before I was a chaplain, I was a youth director at a mosque in in Northern Virginia for um, about a decade. And uh, I, I tell you what, the music. It's in you. So even though I'm talking about, yeah, this is our last album, the the music stays with me. and the music is a part of me. Like even now the the Duke University asked me to uh, make a prayer for Martin Luther King Day, right? So uh, at the chapel on campus, the Christians will make a prayer, They have a Jewish person making a prayer, and then I'm supposed to end the in the event by making a prayer. i could I literally could not write the prayer without making it rhyme. It, it it was difficult for me to write it without rhyming it, and so I wrote I, I read it on on the video and I sent it to him and I was just like, you know, the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King, but what have you seen? Amen and amen, and you know I was just doing all this stuff. So it's like that is part of me. And if you if you look on online for a song called. Um, uh, Everywhere we go, people wanna know who we are. And so we t- walk like a Muslim, right? So look, my memory, I can't even remember my my a song from my solo album. So there's a song called Walk Like a Muslim, Joshua Salam. If you if you look at that video, I made that video on Duke's campus while I was a chaplain with the students at Duke University, right? And so that's just that's gonna always be me. You know, I'm all I'm gonna always be doing music, I'm gonna always be. Uh, singing something, rapping something. I'm, I plan on singing and rapping to my grandchildren. so it's um, and if I have grandchildren, God knows and so, but, uh, but um, God willing. yeah, so that's that's it's just it follows you man it's a it's a piece of you you know if you're a writer, you're a writer if you if you' if you're a comedian like some of you you might have you might be a comedian or you might have an uncle or an aunt or a cousin that's just always funny. they're probably gonna be funny when they're 75 years old, they just, they just, that's their personality, you know?
0: Yeah, and the, the thing is, is that you're also, this is what fascinates me uh, about your story is that you're not just singing, you're, you're singing with a purpose, uh, you're rapping with a purpose and your job has a huge purpose. And the thing that troubles me today with the Muslim community uh, in America is that we now, Become. We're all becoming computer scientists. We're all becoming uh, web designers. We're all becoming uh, lawyers and doctors. And these aren't fields that are influential. I mean, they're important. Don't get me wrong. They're very important. They're great fields, but they're usually sought out for because of the money, because of the the, the reputation behind it, the, the the social standing. And it seems like st- it seems like positions such as being an imam um, and other positions are left to be what people become if they can't find anything else. You know, you become, uh, being becoming an imam in modern days, imam is uh, uh, basically a, a Muslim priest, uh, a, a leader of a mosque. Uh, it's kind of like be, going to Denny's you know you, you end up at Denny's you don't you don't strive to go to Denny's from the get-go uh, so it's like the same thing with with being uh, a Muslim imam in a mosque is that you end up it usually. Uh, in modern times. And, and so w- when when I find someone such as yourself, who from the get go was, was striving, had a passion for youth, had a passion for Muslims in America and, and their development, I have to ask you why that is, uh, and what allowed you to stay with that passion and with that dream?
1: You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's that Uh, maybe it's it's unfortunate but unfortunately it's not that deep for me like I always tell people ask me when we've been interviewed around the world one of the main questions that we get is like why did you choose rap you know why did you choose rap for your for what you're doing and we always answer the same thing like look we, we didn't choose this right some people you know some of our friends were very good at basketball you know and so they went into basketball. It's not like they, you know, chose basketball. It's just like, that's what we played in the neighborhood. If if I was from South America, maybe I would have been playing football, or the real football, you know, soccer, right? Maybe I would have been playing soccer. If I was in Pakistan, maybe I would have been playing cricket, you know? But I, w- I was in a community where this was the music that my mother was, was you know, playing. I, I grew up on Motown. I grew up on Smokey Robinson and, and the Jackson 5 and the you know all this stuff, and and so the music that and I was listening to the you know Eric B and Rakim, and and we was hearing Run DMC and all these that was that's what was playing in our in our communities, and so there's a rhythm that is like starts to come out of you naturally, and and so um, all of this for me is just very organic and very natural. I didn't think about it, excuse me. I didn't think about it. I don't feel like I chose it. I started doing it. People enjoyed it. And 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 then it became like this codependent relationship. Like, as a performer, I really enjoyed, and it made me happy to see people smile. Right? If I could, if I could do something to make you laugh, if I could, if I could do something, you'd be like, "Oh man, that was nice. Do that again." And then you start bringing me over to other people. Oh man, check out this thing that you know that feels good for me, right? And so I'm going to do that more. And then, uh, and then, other people were enjoying it as well, and they were say, oh yeah, can, can you come here, can you come here? The community really needs this, man, this is something, this is awesome. And so it just kind of kept growing and growing. And um, it, it just became like, almost like I was, we were being guided, you know? Um, none of us had plans of becoming a, a, a group, you know? A- after a while we started, it started going to, maybe to our heads, like, man, we could do this full time, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you know, let's, we we uh, we were working with Yusuf Islam, uh, formerly known as uh, Cat Stevens, and uh, we went to Turkey, uh, and performed with him one time. And we went to England and we performed with him one time at a prestigious place in in England called the Royal Albert Hall. That the Queen has her own chair there. She didn't come for our show, but you know the Queen has her own chair there. And and um, we got to perform in all these places, and so we we thought it was it was going somewhere, but. Yeah, it was very organic, man. Very organic. Not something that we like, kind of mapped out and be like, yeah, let's let's take. Look, we never took singing classes. We never took music classes. This wasn't something that you know we were. Would... I I don't know how to read music, you know. I I if you put a, a sheet of music in front of me, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what it is, you know. But I know when something sounds right. I know when a note is off, you know. And uh, and so we just kind of went on our natural gifts. Uh, all this time,
0: so what about your chaplaincy though? How did that come about? How did you choose that? It was or, I, I didn't choose it. It uh-huh. was again look for, I, I don't recommend this 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 method for everybody
1: Look, but I'm just telling you the truth, right? I didn't choose it. I was uh, um, okay let's 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 go through my life very quickly. i I initially got kicked out of college, right? I was going to Indiana University after two years, they gave me a letter. Say you need to rethink your educational goals or something like that. I don't remember what it was. But my grades had gone down so low, they they, they kicked me out. I kind of woke up from then, right? I was like, oh man, that's messed up. So so I go into the military as a police officer. Now I'm in the military as a police officer getting all this training. So when it was time for me to choose a bachelor's degree, I chose criminal justice because that was gonna be the easiest degree that I could get with all of my law enforcement training, all the credits that I got from the military, right? So. After a few years, I ended up getting a bachelor's in criminal justice. Now, uh, you know, uh, uh, I almost became a police officer, but a Muslim organization hired me before I did that, and I was working for civil rights. I said, okay, yeah, a Muslim organization. I like to work for Muslims, civil rights. Okay, my degree's in criminal justice, yeah, it's related. Uh, then uh, another community in Baltimore liked what I was doing. They liked my personality. And they said, we want you to come here and help us uh, build this community. We wanna renovate houses and encourage Muslims to move into the area and, and, uh, and push out all the drug, the drug stores and the drug dealers and the liquor stores and try to make a peaceful environment. I said, man, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll be a part of that. So I go work for that, right? And then, and then somebody in a different state, Virginia was like, we heard that you were really good with youth. Can you come down here and work for youth? I was like, okay, you know, working with you, if I could do that, N- never thinking about, oh, is this is this what I want to do in life? Is this what you know? They were all like opportunities that for me felt good because I always felt like I was helping the Muslim community, and that was what like worked for me. That's always what my mother told me. She's like, I don't care what you do, just make sure you're always helping the Muslim community. So each each opportunity felt right. And then while I was at that masjid, some people came and said, you know, we're training. We're putting some people into this program to study chaplaincy, right? Would you be interested? And I was like, okay, free Islamic education? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm interested, right? And uh, I started going to that. And then, um, uh, so I got my uh, master's in, um, uh, uh, in, in chaplaincy, right? And a master's in, Islam- in Islamic studies, religious studies. And then after that, a, 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 per, a wealthy person from the community said, Joshua, we like what you're doing. We wanna uh, support you and keep going and get your doctorate. I said, okay, okay, I, I can do that, I can do that. So I kept going and now I have my doctorate of ministry. And so it's actually Dr. Joshua Salem after all these years after being kicked out, you know, in 1993 is when I got kicked out. And so it was like, again, I felt like I was being guided and it wasn't like me sitting back and thinking like, what, what do I want to do? You know, what's uh should I be a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, you know, so I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I recommend this for people, but that is my story. That is my story.
0: That is, that's why, cause I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I try to, I, I can't, I can't help it. I, I just plant, try to plan everything. And there's a saying that, you know, humans plan and God laughs. So I guess you did it. You all, you, I guess you, did, you had a good, you know you had a good way of doing it, a good method. You just. Well, you, that- we lived in the moment.
1: We need people like you, man. So keep keep going. Because uh, if you're not, if you don't, what, what they say, if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail, right? So we need people like you to have the foresight that can plan things out. So
0: so uh, don't pay attention to, to people like me. You keep planning. I think a mix of both is good. Thank you though. I think a there mix of both, you know, be living in the moment more, enjoying your life and seeking out opportunities. Uh, while also having a plan is probably the best way to go. Uh, and last thing for you, um, because I, I want most African-Americans who aren't Muslim, non-Muslim uh, African-Americans and black people in general, non-Muslim black people in general, to know a little bit about Islam and that, do you feel strengthened? Uh, Bias them as an African American, or do you feel sometimes that it, it weakens you or it lessens you in status?
1: Ask ask me again.
0: So, do you like? Let, let me word it this way: Do you, as a black man, feel strengthened by Islam?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: And why? Uh, so, my.
1: So if if you want God to be complicated, God can be as complicated as you want. He, he's beyond your comprehension, right? And so on, on one level, you won't be able to understand God. At the same time, the most simple, the most simple understanding of God is that there, there is one God and spend your life trying to get to know him. And I say him loosely because, you know, we don't believe God has a gender like we have, but the language, language is gendered. Uh, so spend your life seeking him. So I really honor seekers, right? People who say like, I don't really know you know, I think something's out there, but I'm not really into the Muslims. I'm not really into the Christians. I'm not really into the to the to the to the Jewish people or the Hindus. Or, but so I'm a seeker. I really honor those people. and 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 I respect those people. And I would I would call myself one of those people because we are all on a journey to understand this essence, this power, this light that that we all feel and know is in the universe and you're seeking it and you're trying to get to know it, right? But maybe because of the, the Muslims that you know or the Christians that you know or the Jewish people that you know, you know, or, or the, the, the verses that you've read from their, from, their, um, uh, from their book, you're not really gelling with it, right? And that, that's, that's fair. I think that's fair that the, the person said, well, that's not the God that I know. I don't think God would do this. I don't think I've, okay, okay. So keep seeking. Keep seeking. Don't ever stop seeking. Don't ever give up. You know, uh, don't don't let uh, some Muslim or Christian or Jewish person that you run into turn you away from the journey of seeking. Because you know what, the, the 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 prophets were just messengers. They were just messengers, and they they had they had a message to give. And the messengers not even the messengers not even supposed to interfere with that message, right? Uh, uh, God says in the Quran, like, give the message to the people and leave the rest to me, right? Don't worry about if they accept it or not. Don't try to, you know, get all, get all in the business and try to be over them and try to rule their affairs. Just give them the message, right? And so if, if that's being said to the, to the Prophet, then what about us, you know? Uh, we, we get the message through like years of the telephone game from your grandmother and your grandfather and your cousin. And, you know, my, my uncle told me that Muslims don't believe this. And my, my, my grandmother said the Christians are supposed to do this. And you know we're all hearing something different and being taught something different. And I think that's why people get confused and just want to do their own thing. And so I say, keep seeking, keep seeking. But for me, uh, I, I find the message so simple. I find the message so clear that Muslim is an Arabic word. Muslim is an Arabic word. And if I didn't speak Arabic, if I refused to speak this Arabic word, there would be very few people in America that would have a problem identifying with the definition. And the definition is a person who is trying to submit their will to God's will. That's it, right? That's, and and, and when you say that, people are like, yeah. everybody, Everybody who's faithful is gonna say that. Everybody who's a seeker is gonna say that. You know, that, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I just wanna do what God wants. I wanna be in God's grace. I wanna be in God's glory, okay. Then, then we have something in common let's let's work from there you know let's let's work from that and so you know um actually was it yesterday i got this little book here what which which verse was this yeah it's a little uh pamphlet it's like a um let's see here it's like a verse of the day some friend gave me this can you see it hmm. Ayah of the day verse of the day so every day i flip it and it has the verse of the day and i love flipping it, so on the 14th, it just has this little verse about um, God telling people that I made you different on purpose, right? If I wanted you, if I wanted everybody to be exactly the same, then I would have made you all exactly the same, but I made you different for a reason, so that you guys have to like work it out, you guys have to struggle, you gotta argue, you gotta learn how to be peaceful and different and, and work with your differences, and then he says, all of you are gonna return back to me. And when that happens, I'll judge between you and I'll, I'll tell you the truth about everything, right? So so when you when you just read stuff like that in the Quran, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, man. I can get with that, you know? And so I've never, I've always felt like this, this book, the Quran, it is, it is empowering. It's empowering. It's empowering when you, when you read it and you hear the story of Jesus, right? Uh, like I always tell people, I, can, I don't have a problem saying that Jesus is the son of God if, if you're using the language of the Bible. Because according to the Bible, everybody's a child of God. They, even today in the church, they say, we're the children of God. Even in today's church, they say, our father who art in heaven. Like That's how the Bible talks. There's other people in the Bible who are called the sons of God. David was called the son of God. So it, in that language of the Bible, it means a righteous person. Right. So, if you just want to just speak the language of the Bible, okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of God. I'm a, I'm a child of God, and you're a daughter of God, and we're children of God. Right. That's the language. But if you want to give...
0: it, also it mean, it also means someone who's deeply loved by God. It was the original mm-hmm. language uh, mm-hmm. behind it in Aramaic, which is what mm-hmm. Jesus spoke. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. And and
1: so yeah. So if you if you're if you're using that language then I can get down with that right but if you if you want to go literal then that's against the bible and that's the, and 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 I only know that because it says it in the quran you know and so uh, the, the 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 story of jesus is so clear in the quran as you mentioned the most mentioned story in the in the quran is the story of moses man look i don't know why jews and muslims aren't talking together more because the quran specifically addresses the children of israel sometimes it's not even addressing the, the the followers of Muhammad. It's like yeah uh, 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 yeah Bani Israel right Th- That's God saying oh children of Israel in, in, a, in a loving companion way So look that means you got to call your Jewish friend and be like, hey man I think this there's a message for you you know like if you if you move into somebody's house and uh, and, and you're still getting mail and it says, oh John Luther you know it's like oh he moved you're supposed to take that mail and give it to him right you don't you don't open it you don't try to translate it you don't tell them what it means it's just like it's addressed to you so I think there's a lot of opportunities here with in, in uh, with the uh, people who follow the Quran just to have dialogue with with other people like hey I, I got this message but there's something here that's not even talking to me it's talking to you right now I'm gonna I'm read it for my for my wisdom can you tell me can you de- decipher this? What does it mean? What does it mean when God's saying, remember the favor that I bestowed to you about this? Like there's stories referred to in the Quran that Muslims have to to, to properly understand that I think you got to talk with your Jewish people. You got to talk with the Jewish uh, uh, community. You know, uh, uh, you got to talk with the the Christian community to understand some of the, the verses that are in the, the Quran about Jesus. So there's the purpose of the Quran is to communicate with other faiths and, um, and other believers, right? Because they're all they're all seekers and believers. And I think uh, if you're if you're
0: speaking the language of the Quran, then I think they're all Muslim. Hmm. Very beautiful. And I and I think a lot of Muslims nowadays, and a lot of young people uh, who are influenced by the style in which politics and social media have been uh, communicating, uh, would see someone who tells you, you know, I think I think Islam is a religion of terror. Uh, and breeds terrorists and get offended and get upset when in reality the Quran tells you that in the face of ignorance to show to show peace to soak to show kindness, so that even that You know, e- even if they are showing ignorance towards our religion, even if they show even hatred towards our religion, we should communicate, we should send the message uh, in a kind and wise way just like you're saying, and I've always, and I want to preach this over and over again in this podcast, no matter how much someone hates you, try your best to love them. And I understand how difficult that is. And even for me personally, that is very difficult. And I, and I try every day, but I have tried both. I've tried to be assertive and mean uh, when someone's saying something wrong about my religion and I, I tried the peaceful, kind, informational style, and I've always found the peaceful, gentle style to always 100% work better than the, than the latter. Uh, you know why? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, okay, don't forget where you're about to go. I don't want you to lose your train of thought. But that's, that's a Quranic message. There's a, there's a commandment in the Quran for us to speak in a more beautiful way. Than them specifically when people attack you specifically when when they're coming at you like that that you're supposed to find language that is that is more beautiful than them and <clears throat> but I, I tell you this man if it was coming from an amish person if it was coming from like a mennonite uh, or, or somebody that's like living and has no electricity and is just trying to and they want to say like you muslims are dangerous and terrorists you know i might be like you know i feel you man i understand but coming from a, a country and look, I'm, I'm prior military, coming from a country that has no problem dropping bombs on, on uh, you know, countries and, and taking innocent casualties as just a casualty of war and and doing it year after year after year. Just in Obama's thing, we were sending, you know, drones and killing people. All And for, for that group to still not see their own um, blood on their hands, to not see their own horror and terror that they spread around the world and still be able to look at a group and say you guys are are dangerous I think it's a sickness you know it's a sickness that you know you should at least you know even an alcoholic that wants to correct you you know would say you know yeah I know I shouldn't be drinking like this man but you're too young you need to stop drinking like that's that's actually happened to me I've I've seen somebody they were smoking a cigarette and they were like yeah man don't ever don't ever start smoking cigarettes man you know I, I I started when I was like so they'll admit that they have a problem but still try to give you good advice and you can accept that right so i don't think um america has really done a good job of showing humility not to say that they can't give good advice that hey you know there's a problem here uh there's there's a lot of terrorism that's coming from but it should come from a place of and 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 i know how it feels because look we got people in america that are willing to try to bomb the capital in the name of democracy you know we've we fought Vietnam and World War One and the Korean War and the, the war on drugs hasn't stopped and and you know the, the Iraqi war is still going on and the war against terror is still going on. We know we got issues too, but can we come together and try to stop this violence? Like it doesn't come across like that. It's it's just like pointing the finger at the Muslim community as if that's where the danger is, as that's where the terror and the violence is. Um, so yeah, I hope that my country, my people, you know, because we gotta we gotta use the I statements because I'm American, you're American, you know I live here, you live here, so we have to uh, learn better how to give advice if we want to stop violence.
0: And it really starts from the heart, man. It, it, it's a battle of hearts. It, it, at the end of the day, people try to say, uh, and I don't think the Muslim issue. Uh, the way to deal with the Muslim problem in America is through legislative work. I mean, of course, legisl- legislative work is important. And a lot of people are working on that, such as um, non- non-profits like CARE. Uh, but at the same time, it comes down to every single Muslim individual when it, when they have a moment and uh, a communication with with a non-Muslim, that that is where the battle is. That's the battleground right there, and I don't mean it in a literal way where it's violent. I'm talking about the battle of the hearts, uh, and that is a moment where you can be an activist, where you can be a representative of the Muslim faith in a beautiful way, no matter what someone's saying to you. Uh, I, I think I think that's the method that we should we should go with as Muslims in this country.
1: Mm, yeah, I, I do I do agree. It starts with the heart. Um, There can be diseases of the heart, and there's a way to purify your heart. And it takes exercise, just like anything else. If you want to purify your body, we 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 know you got to eat like you got to drink a lot of water. You got to eat healthy food, you know, vegetables. If you're gonna eat meat, make sure it's grass fed. That they got a lot of sun. Don't eat food that was caged up and given injections of hormones and all this stuff, right? You got to put the right stuff into your body. And so there's a similar diet when it comes to the spiritual diet and trying to cleanse your heart. What are you what are you taking into your body? You know, what is the spiritual water? What is the spiritual vegetable that you have to eat and it's it's about your environment, it's about what you listen to, it's about what you who you're around. Uh, and and actually to a certain extent it is sometimes what you eat as well. Um, so yeah, I I think
0: I'm I'm 100% with you it starts with the heart. Yeah. And we're about to probably wrap up right here, brother, uh, doctor, hold on. Let me, let me rephrase now that I know that you're super (laughs) humble with that, man. I don't, I didn't see that anywhere. Dr. Joshua Salem. Uh, but before we go, any last, any last statements, any last words, anything you want to tell the viewers? Um, no, I mean, I, I would just say
1: one of the things that's, Helps to keep me calm and sane because if if you catch me on the wrong day, I, I do have a temper, right? So I, 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 most people don't know that. Most people have never seen me upset, but you I don't look I, it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I can get upset, but one of the things that I tried to do that that keeps me calm is to realize that all of this is coming to an end. You know, uh, my grandmother passed away a few years ago at the age of ninety-two uh before, before no right after that uh my um an older woman in my wife's family passed away and she was like late 80s and the day she died there was a little box right next to her like a shoebox and because she was 80 something and the other box had a a baby that was born that day it was born and died on the same day and it just made me think like there's a wide range of of um You know, Muslims know, if if you're walking on this path and thinking about God and you're seeking God a lot, you know that you're not gonna live forever. You're gonna end. And so what do you wanna do with the time that you have left? You know, if you you don't know if you're gonna be here for a week or for a month or for a year, how do you wanna live it? And so I, I don't wanna live my life being mad at somebody. I don't wanna live my life holding anger and holding grudges. So as much as possible, when somebody offends me, or somebody really hurts my feelings, I try to talk it out with them, keep moving and think about uh, being in the garden with uh, being able to see God, being able to see Jesus, being able to meet Moses, being able to have a conversation with Muhammad, being able to uh, kick it with Abraham. Like that's, you know, I think about those things and it kind of brings a smile on my face. Like be like, all right, man, I got to act right. I got to stay right, you know? And uh, and so i just pass that along if it helps anybody to, because there's a lot of stuff that can, get under your skin. There's a lot of stuff that nowadays is causing a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of hatred, a lot of anger. And so um, I would say, you know, the message of the Quran is uh, if you can remember God often, it, it helps, you know. So just keep thinking about God and returning to God and try to get back in a good state.
0: Yeah, and it's a constant struggle. Uh, some days you'll, you'll be up, some days you'll be down. And- amen, amen. And you'll just, you just can't give up. You can't give up. Some days I forget to pray. Some days, t- some days I forget uh, to be kind to my parents the way I should. And all you have to do is the next day, wake up and do better. That, that's really man, all it comes down that's, to.
1: That's what, that's what they tell you in sports, man. Right.
0: You don't want another team to take
1: out your heart. You know, they, they up 20 points and everybody starts putting their head down be like, man, we lost. And, and the coach has to convince everybody, look, it's not about like being down 20 points. I need you guys to go out there, pick yourself up. Doesn't matter how many times we fall down, pick yourself up, keep fighting, fighting hard. Like that's what they say in sports, but it's, it's easier in sports because it's just a, like an hour, two hours. It's a lot harder in life because like, you don't know when the finish, <laughs> you don't know when the finish line is, man. It's, it's it's like this marathon race that you don't know when it's gonna end and it's a lot harder, but uh, through practice, exercise uh, of the heart, of the soul and putting yourself around good people like yourself and and uh pos- positivity you can make it you
0: can make it mm, yeah and do you have a release date thank you so much for coming on it, it was an honor having you on uh and it was it, honestly i couldn't have expected it to go any better than it did so thank you so much dr cool, joshua cool. Slam. hey man anytime anytime you want you want to kick it call me up we'll do another one uh release date for
1: our, our last album you mean yes no, not yet, not yet. We're not working yet. on a we're working on the do- well, one, the movie was a priority. So Abdul Malik was, you know, very busy with the movie. So that just got released. Now we're we're thinking about like a trying to do a documentary of uh, you know, the, the native Dean. We're not sure how long that's gonna take. And then we're gonna start working on the 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 last album in between all of that. So probably 2022. I don't think it's gonna come out this year. Probably 2022, inshallah.